I thought this table was going to take me out. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> My name's Dustin Dozier. I'm your campus pastor here. That's all right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't think that would have lasted long if I would have acted like that. My name is Mason Leonard. I am a student at Anderson University. I'm, a, I'm going into my senior year there. I'm also the college intern here at Upstate this summer. Man, I've enjoyed it. We've had beach retreat with all the middle schoolers. We've, had, uh, we've got serve coming up. We've had a college retreat, so just all over the place, and God's doing some really great things, and I'm really excited for what he's going to do today. Um, we've been working through Exodus into the wilderness, and I know it can get really thick, really heavy in Exodus, and you might have thought that so far, but if you haven't thought that yet, probably will today because we're working through the plagues. But let's kind of recap what the messages have been on so far. Last week, we talked about how God does not need us to be extraordinary. God does not need us to be some great thing because he is great. We talked about how God calls inadequate people and that God demands obedience from his children. And most importantly, God is always the main character. This reminds me of whenever I was in fifth grade, all right? I was in a classroom, and my teacher's name was Miss Bridges. She came in one day, and she said, class, my student, my t- daughters are movie stars. She said, my daughters are movie stars, and they're in a movie, and it's going to be great, and they have made it big time. So she pulls up this movie, and it's The Hunger Games, and uh, you've probably watched The Hunger Games. Well, part of that movie was filmed in Shelby. And embarrassingly enough, it was District 12. It's where the poor people are. It's pretty embarrassing. Nobody likes them in the movie. But that's the part it was filmed in in Shelby. So she fast forwards to the part of the movie that her daughters are in. And here I am. Me and my friends were saying, oh, it's going to be some action-packed scene. She has uh, some, like, really funny line. Or maybe she's, like, standing right beside Katniss. Maybe that's where her daughters are. At least something is what her daughters have in the movie. But it's literally a split second that we can see her daughters in the movie. Like, they're just a part of a crowd. Like, you literally can see their face just a little bit. And come to find out, they were just extras to this movie. What Miss Bridges failed to realize is that the movie is about Katniss Everdeen, the girl who volunteered herself up for instead of her sister to go fight in the Hunger Games. What she failed to realize is that the movie was about the girl on fire, Katniss Everdeen, and her daughters are just part of the crowd so that she may get center stage. And isn't this so much like us? So often we think this life is about us, and we fail to remember that God has center stage. God is the main character in this thing that we call life. He has chosen people after people, generation after generation, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, to you, and to me. You see, that's his method. He uses people for his purposes. He uses people to do what he wants to do and to have what he would have. And we are just a speck in his plan. And you say that might sound a little discouraging, like, okay, so I'm not that important. Like, what are you trying to say? But no, how refreshing is it to know that we aren't a big enough deal to mess things up? We aren't a big enough deal to mess God's mission up. You see, our perspective changes when our praise increases. When we start praising God for who he is, when we start praising God for all that he's done, when we start praising God and giving him all the glory, our perspective changes on our own lives. It becomes not about us. It becomes about him and how we can give glory to him in everything we do. You see, so when we take a step back to see how God sees it, 
When we take a step back to see how God would have it, we begin to see that there are more reasons to praise. So this tends to shape how we view God and how he works. So the question that we're going to be jumping from today is why does God work the way he does? You may be here today and you're wondering, why is God doing this in my life? Why are these problems the way they are in my life? Why is it this way, God? Why is my family situation this way? Why is my situation with my spouse this way? Why is it this way with my friends? Why does God work the way he does? Moses was wondering the same thing. Just to kind of recap, in Exodus chapter 5, if you recall, Moses says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Sounds like Moses has a lot of doubt right here. But God goes on to remind him in chapter 6 that he is the I am. God says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Over and over, God is reminding Moses, I am the Lord. I will do this. I will do that. I will, I will, I will, because I am the Lord. You see, sometimes we don't need to learn something new about God. We just need to be reminded of who he is. Sometimes we don't need to learn something new about God. We think we just need to maybe learn this or learn that and have more knowledge in our hearts or minds. But sometimes what he's calling us to do is just to be reminded that he is the Lord, that he is good, that he is God. So I say all that to say that everything I say today, you've probably heard before. But maybe we just need to be reminded of it. Maybe we just need a reminder that God is still deliverer, that God is still Lord, that he's still faithful, and that he's still redeemer. We can know that he will move in our lives because he is the I am. Because he is the Lord, he works in ways to bring glory to himself. In everything he does, it's so that we may know that he is God. And that's what these plagues are doing that we're going to work through. He's both showing Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that he is the one true king. And he's also working towards freeing his people from captivity so that they may serve the one true king. So I've told you we're working through the plagues today, and you've probably heard of the 10 plagues, but these plagues consist of the Nile River turned to blood, or frogs, or gnats, flies, dead livestock, boils, hell, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborns are threatened. Can we just take a second and think about how bad it must have stunk? Like, Moses thought it stunk so bad that he made a comment about it. Exodus eight fourteen says, they gathered them in heaps, and the land stank. Like, Moses is straight up saying, it stank. Like, it don't smell good out here. 
And then think about it being pitch dark everywhere you go. It says there's darkness all throughout the land. They can't even see each other. And like, whenever, like, I can still see my hand in front of my face, like whenever it's dark at night, walking to my room in my house, like, I'm still kind of running because I feel like somebody's chasing me. But like, it was so dark. But God has sent these plagues to Egypt, a land that is led by a leader named Pharaoh who has no interest in the one true God. He does not know God. And the scripture says his heart is hardened towards God. The Israelites here have been enslaved for 400 years at this point. That's a long time. Many of these Israelites had begun to lose faith that God was still present in their life. They had started to believe that, okay, he might not actually be who he says he is. Many believed that he existed. They were willing to bank their life on, yeah, God is real, but they doubted that he would ever interfere with their bondage. And isn't this a lot like us? We're willing to tell people we're Christians. We're willing to come to church on a Sunday, but we struggle to really believe God's gonna ever actually interfere with that situation in our life. We pray with such doubt. We pray with such lack of just belief that God is gonna move. And because of this hardened heart of Pharaoh, they are just, the God is sending these plagues to accomplish this purpose because of this hardened heart of Pharaoh. There's so many different gods in this, in this area right here. These Egyptians, they believe in little g gods. They're, they are attributing their powers to this natural phenomenon. So there's like a God of sun, there's a God of childbirth, there's a God of crops, there's a God for literally everything, thousands, maybe even millions of gods. And what God is doing here is he's sending these plagues to remind the people or to even teach the people he is the one true God. The world of order is being upended in order to remind the people who God is. The Israelites and even the Egyptians, they knew who God is. They knew the truth because Moses is telling him. He's, he's telling Pharaoh, but they just need to be reminded that God is on the throne. So let's get into the message. Why does God work the way he does? Number one is to accomplish his purpose. God's purpose is all throughout this text. Over and over, God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 8.1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Over and over, that they may serve me, that they may serve me, that they may serve me. That's what these plagues are doing, that they may serve me. God is always working in ways that will bring glory to himself. So that's what our purpose is today, to bring glory to him. David Platt says it this way about God's purpose. He says, you have been created to enjoy the grace of God and to exalt the glory of God. You have been saved to serve. You have been delivered to worship. You have been given grace for his glory. This is the way Christianity works from cover to cover in the Bible. God beckons people to enjoy his grace and exalt his glory, end quote. See, we are here to exalt and to glorify him so that the whole world may come to know him. I think about accomplishing purpose and how that can be really tough sometimes in order to get a point across. And so whenever I think about that, I think about whenever I was younger, I'd always leave the rag in the shower. Like whenever I took a shower, I'd always leave the wet rag in the shower. And I was thinking about this, how my dad would warn me over and over and over, get the rag out of the shower, put it in the hamper. Get the rag out of the shower, put it in the hammer. Never would do it. I always left the rag in the shower. And I never actually listened because I never actually thought he'd do anything about it. After the warning, after warning, 
I started finding wet rags like in my bed, on my pillow, like on my clean clothes. And oh my goodness, was this annoying. Like, oh my goodness, was this so frustrating. It sounds like abuse. But I stopped, <laughs> but I stopped leaving my rag in the shower pretty quick. I stopped leaving it there just because I was so annoyed by it. And to this day, every time I get out, I think to grab that rag. Because a wet rag on things that need to be dry to enjoy was really inconvenient and really frustrating. You see, but my dad accomplished his purpose. I get the rag now. And God's purpose in these plagues is to force Pharaoh to let his people go, all so that they may serve him. He's having to do this. He's having to act so that Pharaoh will wake up. And Pharaoh, over and over, is denying the warnings. He's denying God and denying that he'll ever actually do anything about the Israelites that are in bondage. And the circumstances from these people are pretty different from our lives. They are. But God is still using trials to bring glory to himself. Now, let's be clear. God does not always send trials, but he does always use them. The trials that are in your life does not mean that God sent it. The trials that you're mad at God for right now does not mean he sent it, but it does mean that he's going to use it. It does mean that he's using those trials in order to bring glory to himself. So when the plagues of our own life comes, we as God's people are simply reminded we're not at home. As God's people, we are simply reminded that we have a place to look forward to when he makes all things new. As God's people, when we're going through trials, we can know and trust that he's working all things together for good. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Then in Job, we see God say, He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. You see, when we face adversity, we're forced to face God. When we face adversity and the troubles in life, they draw us to God because we realize this world is broken and he's the only one we can find completeness in. So the purpose of these plagues in Exodus and also the plagues in our own life is so that we may serve him and that we may see his power as one true God, as the one true king. Exodus 9, 16 says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So why does God work the way he does? Number one is to accomplish his purpose. And number two is to prove his supremacy. So in order to accomplish this purpose, he has to prove his supremacy. And whenever I think of supreme, I think of the brand that has like $800 socks. And like, that's not it. Supreme, I looked it up. I looked up what it means. And it's highest in rank or authority, the highest in degree or quality, superior to all others. So it's very evident throughout all of this text that God is God. He's making himself really big and really known that, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go or I will keep sending these plagues. It's very clear that God is God. But because Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he sits on the throne of his own life. Pharaoh has made this up in his mind or he's convinced himself that he is in control of his people. He is in control of his own life and he's placed himself on the throne. And God, what he's doing here is showing him he's not on the throne. God is on the throne. Exodus 9, 14 says this, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself 
and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all of the earth. Do you see this? When we sit on the own throne of our own lives, it affects the people around us too, not just us. Our sin affects those around us, not just us. Pharaoh's sin, Pharaoh's hardened heart is affecting his people. It's affecting his friends. It's affecting his family. And that's the same way with us. Our sin affects those around us. Parents, it matters that your kids see that God is supreme in your life. Kids, it matters that your friends at school see that God is supreme in your life. I wish so bad that I could go back to high school and share the love of Jesus with those in high school that I failed to share them with. How many people will die not knowing Jesus? How many people will go to hell not knowing Jesus because I didn't share it with them? Because I didn't make God supreme in my life? Because I didn't make him number one in my life? Because I didn't make him really big where he needs to be? You see, God is not on the sideline of your life. God is not on the sideline just cheering you on. God is front and center of your life. And all we're supposed to do is acknowledge that. God was God anyway. God was God whenever he was telling Pharaoh to do this and that. God was God when he was sending the plagues. But what Pharaoh failed to do was to acknowledge that. All we have to do is acknowledge that he's there because he already is. God is showing Pharaoh in these plagues that he has all the power, not Pharaoh. And you know, Pharaoh still has the liberty to let the people go. But he knows that if he doesn't, there'll be repercussions. And he chooses to take those repercussions. God is so loving and so just, he's giving them, he's giving Pharaoh the opportunity to say no. And this is so much like us. I think about at beach camp. Uh, some of you may have middle schoolers that were there. And oh my goodness, was I there. I learned some things. I learned a lot of patience. But I had sixth graders. And one of my sixth graders, who I won't name, he was a handful. I will say that. And from the very beginning of the trip, a parent came up to me and said, hey, you better watch this one here. He's, he's a handful. And I was like, ah, you're funny. Yeah, I bet he is. And then another, another other kids tell me, oh, he's a handful. You better watch him. Some other leaders are telling me, you better watch that one. And just over and over, I'm hearing this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's no big deal. So I knew from the beginning I should keep an eye on him. Well, on the very first day, I learned that I should have kept an eye on him. Because I was at lunch, I was eating lunch, and with all my group was there, I counted, uh, we had six or seven in my group that I was over, and one was missing, it was blank. So I'm looking for him, I go downstairs, I look on the other side of the lunchroom, I'm looking all over this campground, cannot find him. So I go in my room where like, we were all sleeping, or all my group was sleeping, and what he's done is he went through everybody's bag in the room, and he's found eight bottles of sunscreen, and he sprayed it on the floor, using it as a slip and slide, like through our bedroom floor. So he's like, it's a long room, like from that wall up to here, he's just sliding, like almost slides at my feet. And I'm, what are you doing? And I say all that to say, I had the liberty to eat at like everything was under control. I had all the warnings, but I was like, yeah, whatever. But that had repercussions. And Pharaoh keeps pushing God off. He knows there's warnings. He knows that there's repercussions, but he keeps believing that he is the leader, so there's nothing to worry about. So like Pharaoh, why do we so often need God to prove himself to us? Why does it take the plagues in our life to start loving Jesus again? Why does it take the hard things to come up in life to really wake us up and say, I need to depend on him again? 
Why does it take the really hard times and the plagues in our life? You see, the truth is, God does not need to prove anything to us. But to soften our hearts, we have to so often go through the really hard things. We don't really believe he is who he says he is, or that he will do what he says he'll do. But what if today we decided, God, you're on the throne of our life. God, you're on the throne of my life. You're on the throne of my heart. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our God is the one who swallowed up death forever. Our God is our salvation. Our God is the one who will wipe away all tears. And that's because God is supreme. That's because God is sovereign over all things. And that includes our heart. You see, so often we'll come in here and we'll sing, you reign above it all. Or we'll sing that, God, you get the glory. When we don't truly believe that in how we live. We don't truly believe that in how we believe. But if God reigns above it all, then he should reign over our lives too. If God reigns above it all, he should reign over our hearts and how we live as well. So often we'll believe that God reigns over that family or God reigns over the world, God reigns over the economy, but we forget that he cares about the one. We forget that he left the 99 to save the one. We forget that he died on the cross to save you and me. You see, we should strive to be the exact opposite of Pharaoh. We should strive and pray for soft hearts that God is desired above all else and that we would give obedience to God above all else. You see, he's worthy because he is supreme. He's worthy because he reigns over everything. He is working everything together. He has put everything into place and he has dominion over all things. So he's worthy to be praised because he's supreme. You see, God is front and center in his purpose. His purpose is to bring glory to himself. God is front and center in his supremacy. He's number one. He's on the throne. And lastly, God works the way he does to show his provision. He's still front and center because he calls his people to dependence on him. We know the verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, we can trust in these plagues and we can trust in our plagues. God is weaving things together. God is working things together all for his purpose. Also that we may bring glory to him. Also that he may get the glory. One teaching pastor here at Upstate, Chuck Fuller says it this way. He says, we want an answer, but what we really need is a redeemer. You know, a lot of times I can look at my life and think about how I would often pray for clarity. I would often pray for, what's the next step, God? What's, the, what's your will for my life? And so often, a prayer for clarity is really just a prayer for control. It's really just a lack of faith in not believing God is who he is or is who he says he is. So often, we pray for clarity, but in reality, that's just a prayer for control. You see, we want answers or we want a step-by-step plan for our life, but that isn't how God works. God calls us to dependence on him because God is provider. And look, let's look in the plagues where God provides and protects his people. 
in Exodus 8.21, the flies didn't touch the Israelites. It says, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. With the cattle plague, only the Egyptian cattle die. Exodus 9, 6 through 7 says, All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. See, God is slowly breaking down this Egyptian economy while protecting and providing for those who obey him. Then we see darkness. The Israelites have light. Exodus 10, 22 through 23. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. God is not on the sideline of your life. He's actively working. He's actively taking care of you, even when it don't feel like it. And my prayer is that we would realize that this is the same God who was working things together for the Israelites. It's the same God who's working things together for you and me. Those who obey his voice are promised to be protected and provided for. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This is a promise from an almighty God, the supreme God who sets the captives free. But I have to tell you today, this promise doesn't apply to you if he isn't your God. If you haven't given your life to him, if you haven't took yourself off the throne of your own life and put him on the throne, then this promise doesn't apply yet but you can do that today. The challenge from God's word is to take a step back and say, am I on the throne of my own life like Pharaoh? Am I being obedient to what God is calling me to do? See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless, perfect life, all to take on the sin of the world by dying a brutal death for you and me. All so that he would resurrect three days later for you and me to be set free from captivity for you and me to be set free from our sin, for you and me to be set free from our circumstances. So many times we get so overwhelmed by what's going on that we lose God in it. God is calling us to obedience. God is calling us to put him on the throne. I've been reading a book called Something Needs to Change by David Platt. And if you haven't read it, you should. But in a nutshell, he's going through the Himalayan mountains and he's going through all these different villages of people who've never heard of God before. They've never heard the name Jesus. And he's coming across believers in Jesus who are heavily persecuted for believing what they believe. These people will climb thousands of feet up the freezing cold mountain, like holding babies and uh, helping their elderly parents up the mountains. And they'll meet all to worship. Rarely any food, rarely any shelter, and very little reason to be happy from our perspective. But David notices that they have Jesus, and that's enough. They do have a reason to live, and it's so that all of these villages will come to know him. They have given their purpose in life to bring glory to him by making sure everyone around them learns the name of Jesus. They have found that Jesus is worth leaving everything behind because he has provided time and time again where they don't see a way. And how spoiled are we? 
to come into here and sit into padded chairs, many of which we've been raised in, many of which we've heard about God our whole lives. But if God is worth worth being praised for provision in the Himalayan mountains, then surely he can be praised here in Simpsonville, South Carolina, in Five Forks, South Carolina. See, in a world that feels insane, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, no matter what you believe about different things in the world, see, COVID has affected so many different people. It's probably affected you in some way. The economy's bad. Gas prices are high. Inflation seems to be a word that you hear every day. And life's problems and plagues seem like they've just overtaken your life. But we have a Bible, 66 books worth, to remind us of who God is. We have a Bible that reminds us that not one thing that we go through has caught God off guard. Not one thing that we see or realize or have to be reminded of, not one thing that he didn't already know about. So in conclusion, I just want to exalt the God that we serve by reading a little bit of scripture of who he is. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. For this invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Fear not, I am the first and the last. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and chill, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, the same God, that's the God of gods, the King of kings, is the same God who goes wherever you are. He's the same God who ascends to the mountaintops in life. He's the same God who descends into the hells of life. Whenever it seems like there's so many plagues just filling your life, it's the same God that's there. It's the same God who was there in the plagues, working things out. God formed you and he formed your days. He knew everything that you'd be going through. So he knows what you're going through and we can just trust him. God is not on the sideline of your life. He is front and center. His purpose, his supremacy, his provision are all things we hear about so much. But what we need to do is just acknowledge that and how we believe and live. See, things start to make a lot more sense. They start to really make sense and come together on why God works the way he does when we stop trying to figure it out and just trust him. He's on the throne. Let's remember that today.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to speak. But God, more importantly, I pray that I'll get out of the way, God, and I pray that you can just have your will and way in the hearts. I pray that you can just move in this place, God. God, the decisions that haven't been made yet as far as giving their life to you, God, I pray that it'll happen today. God, the conversations that need to happen on how they can just take their next step, I pray that it'll happen today. God, I pray that you can just have your will and way in the remainder of this service as we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.